This episode of Desperately Seeking Entertainment is brought to you by Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Now on Broadway, get great seats available right now from $69 and up. Learn more at harrypotter.ticketmaster.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Desperately Seeking Entertainment, your source for basically entertainment consume, consumption, uh, the whole nine yards. And I am one of your hosts, Mr. Chris Peterson. Uh, I am joined, as always, by Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's going on, Chris? What's up, people? Are you ready to nerd out and talk about entertainment? I am. I'm super psyched up. Chris, the last <laughs> month has just been, been so jacked up, Crazy. filled with entertainment stuff. I, it's just insane. Insane. I don't know what your thoughts are. It's just... I don't know. What do you think about it? I, I, it's just crazy. It, it is. I mean, the month of May might be the greatest month ever, maybe, of my life. I don't know. It, it's up yeah, there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's up there. Um, per your suggestions, I actually got through a couple of different things this past weekend uh, that I wanted to let you know about right off the top. Finally finished the Wu-Tang Clan uh, documentary, which was an outstanding you know, four or five hours uh, just to sit back and watch how – Money just corrupts everything, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You never really heard like the details and the drama and all that stuff and Riz's brother and the whole thing. And talk about awkward moments when they were like, yeah, so about that, like, um, that album that we did that was like a, a, a you know, a piece of art that they only made one copy of. Like, all the guys are like, that was terrible. And like, Riz is standing right there. <laughs> He's like, that yeah, that's great. Yeah. And like, Method Man was like, oh, I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. Definitely got a little awkward in the room there. Uh, but I mean, it made me think that like, you know, if this podcast go on, goes on to like make millions, then, you know, what happens to us? You know, is that, are we going to let that, those dollars get, get between us? I will us? never let that tear us apart. Okay, Chris, just like the <laughs> NXS song. All right. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So yeah, no, definitely got that. And then I also got caught up on Barry, oh, which yeah. uh, was, was awesome. I did that actually yesterday and today. The episode I think you referred to a couple weeks ago about the the fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> episode five, Ronnie Lilly. If you haven't seen it, just stop listening for now. It's I've I haven't laughed that hard for thirty consecutive minutes in God knows how long. I <laughs> was dying. Oh my god! I know you don't even need to know anything about the show i was thinking of that episode oh like, yeah seriously, you're if right. you never watched an episode of it just just tune in and think of it like an awesome bill Hader sketch <laughs> like the yep. whole thing is just set up because he sets up the whole thing like hey i'm here to kill you but i'm not going to do that <laughs> which is so <laughs> ridiculous and then the daughter gets home oh. and it's a whole different thing Oh, when she latches on to Steven Root's face, that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen what in my life. What are you? Because <laughs> I love it, like how he doesn't believe him at first. He's, she's like, he, she's some sort of animal. I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, okay, that's enough. And then she's like on the roof like doing something. Well, he walks up to her and she's sitting on the curb and then she like runs away, scales up a tree and jumps on the roof. And he's like, what is happening? And then <laughs> – I lost it when when they go to the supermarket the second time, and oh. he sees the guy standing there. 
and they start fighting in the supermarket. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal show. Um, yeah, I was the crying. show. The show took a took a, a turn to like absurdity. You know what I yeah. mean? Where <laughs> when you first watch the show, just like you were saying, like when you saw the first trailer, you're like, okay, we've kind of seen this. We've kind of seen this with like gross point blank kind of thing where you kind of get like the hitman. There's comedy. You get the setup and it's like, oh, I guess Bill Hader will do. But that episode went to this level of absurdity, even like when, you know, the cops come in and don't see Barry. And he's obviously just visibly <laughs> running away from the crime scene and they don't even look at him. <laughs> he's covered in blood. He's like a blood. He's a goatee full of like blood. It's just <laughs> it went to another level of like great the like theater of the absurd where that's why it's so funny. And yeah. that show is just hitting on all marks. I loved it. I loved it. So. Uh, incredible, incredible. And so for folks, if you've never listened to this podcast before, shame on you. Uh, but if you if you haven't, then what you should know right off the bat is what Ben and I like to do is because we're consumers of all entertainment in all its glorious forms, uh, we like to basically talk about what we feel are kind of the five biggest or most important or most relevant or just downright entertaining stories of the week and share them with one another on this podcast. But the kicker is I have no idea what Ben is going to say to me. And he has no idea what I'm going to say to him. And sometimes we actually come up with the same thing because sometimes there's just stories out there that need to be discussed and we have similar tastes and, and things like that. So um, basically we call it each other's top five, so to speak. So Ben, yes. my man, yes, let's yes. kick things off. What do you got for your first choice? Well, uh, my first choice, I had a couple, we had a couple big moments this uh, week, this weekend, weekend where um, there was a lot of things premiering and a lot of things ending. And let me talk about a premiere. Let's start off on a high. Let's talk about John Wick 3. Yes. Uh, John Wick 3 uh, stopped uh, stopped up the box office with $92 million global opening. Um, I think I saw, Chris, that you saw it. I saw it on Friday night after I drove up to the Berkshires and watched it with a semi-packed house at this amazing theater. The big, I just love the new reclining seat thing. I just love it. I love it, but... You know how like they have the little reclining seats in most theaters and you got the little button you can mm-hmm. put your feet up. Uh, I, I sat back, you know, I had my popcorn, I had my movie. I'm, I'm like, all right, here we go. John Wick 3. And then instantly I go, I don't think I can lay back for this movie. No, no. you're. <laughs> I, I put right. my recliner up and sat on the edge of my seat for what seemed like five hours of just straight action. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Chris? What are your, what are your thoughts? It was, well, I, I'm so glad that you just described your movie going experience because as you're in the Berkshires, I literally in the, it saw it in the polar opposite environment. I went, I was in New York city, times square. Oh, talk, oh, about, oh. talk about meta, by the way, watching John wick in times square. Oh, it, right there. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> literally blocks from where they filmed it uh, in, in front of a packed house in what I call is the Mecca of movie theaters. It's the AMC empire 25 on 42nd street. I go to see, I try to see all big releases there. I've, I've seen all the star Wars, all the Lord of the Rings movies there. It's an unbelievable movie watching experience. And I try to always sit in the same seat, which is the, in the middle seat, three rows from the screen because then you're just enveloped in the, in the movie, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Sold out house guys, gals going crazy. Like it's a freaking sporting event. Like, I mean the first half an hour of this movie, they don't let you breathe. No, like, no you're waiting you for dialogue. As my friend, my friend said, he was like, I was waiting for the talking parts so I could catch my breath. <laughs> so I can blink. Um, like and and I'll just put the spoiler count you know on this right now because we're going to talk about this in detail. But um, 
you know, the first kill in the library oh. with the freaking book is like we went nuts in the movie theater. We, we were like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" <laughs> like, and and then you just go from one locale to the next locale to the next, and then he's on a horse killing people with a horse. Oh yeah, um, it was great. It was great, and I thought the pacing was really smart. It it just like you know they hit you right off the bat. Then you get a little talky stuff with Angelica Houston and the ballerina stuff, which apparently is a spinoff that's going to be happening. I, mm. I just read about that. Interesting. Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna explore that world, which I think is pretty cool. And then you get Holly Berry, and in that scene where they're kind of in that that uh, atrium trying to get out of that building, so to speak, unbelievable, unbelievable. So, and I had no idea they were doing a John Wick four. So when I you know when it's like almost three hours and you're like looking at your watch, like this is not ending, is it? And <laughs> you know, like. And then they set it up for John Wick 4. I lost my mind completely. I gave them, I actually stood up and clapped at, uh, during the credits. I gave it a standing out. So, um, yeah, craziness. What, what, what are some of your thoughts on the film? Just, I, I just love how, I hope that this movie, above everything else, brings us back to an age where people want to see practical effects and real stunts in movies. Mm-hmm. And people, my audience in my theater, especially the knife fight scene in the antique shop up on the second story when they're <laughs> when they're fighting and all of a sudden they look they look behind them and they have these display cases full of knives and they just start throwing them oh at each other. Oh my god, that was cra- crazy! Yeah, and <laughs> either they they threw you know fake handles at each other with nothing in them, or you know like Star Wars, they had a little white thing and then they motion captured it and replaced it with blades. You know, I don't think they really threw knives at each other, <laughs> right. um, but th- it was so visceral, mm-hmm. even though you know that you're watching a movie, even though, you know, Keanu Reeves is an actor, you know, you've, you've seen John Wick. He's almost indestructible. You know what I mean? <laughs> he can't get hurt. People were still flinching and grimacing and, and audibly gasping when like a knife would hit him in the arm as he dodged. And then he would throw it at one of the guys. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because we haven't seen a movie like that. Or, or, or a series like this since like Jackie Chan, like in like the late 80s, where you know this man's doing his own stunts. He, you know he's jumping through glass and stuff. And I, I just thought it was visceral. Just a visceral movie experience. Edge of my seat. Can't beat it. It was great. Great, great, great. It was great. It was great. And, you know, they, they just announced the release date for John Wick 4, which is Mar- uh, May 24th, 2021. So literally two years from today, basically – we're getting John Wick four, which is, is that the last chapter? Who knows? Who knows? And you know, Keanu Reeves is is first of all one of the coolest guys on the planet. But he basically said, "Look, as long as people love these movies, and as long as I can move my legs, I will, I will do these movies." Um, which is awesome. And actually, what's been really cool about this weekend too, with with basically Keanu kind of being back in the spotlight, is a lot of people are starting to share like Keanu Reeves stories when they met him in person. And if you just look go on Twitter and just do hashtag Keanu Reeves, like you just hear all these crazy stories. Like I'll just share one of them real quick. There was a guy who from Sydney, Australia, who back in 2001 was working at a movie theater 
and Keanu Reeves came up and bought a ticket to Johnny Depp's From Hell, that movie. Mm-hmm. It's like of all movies, mm-hmm. right? And the guy's like, oh, man, I got to see if I can get this guy's autograph. So he offers Keanu the employee discount at the movie theater so he can see the movie at a discount <laughs> rate. Because one of the things is in order to get the discount, you have to sign your name on like a ledger or something like that. So he's like, oh, man, this way I can get Keanu's autograph. And Keanu's like, no, no, man, that's cool. Don't even worry about it. I'll just pay the regular price. And the guy was like, oh, okay, you know, no problem. And then like maybe five minutes later, Keanu comes back. He knocks on the window. He says, hey, I just wanted you to realize I think you probably wanted my autograph, right? And the guy was like, yeah. He's like, here, here's a receipt. Um, and he signed the back of a receipt uh, and gave it to him. But here's the cool thing. As he's walking away, he, he chucks an ice cream, like an ice cream cone in the garbage. And the guy realized he looks at the, the the receipt and he realizes that that Keanu bought an ice cream just to get a receipt so he could sign it for the guy. Oh, that's which, really cool! Uh, and then just didn't want he didn't want the ice cream. He just did it to to give the guy the autograph. Right. Which I was like, that's awesome. And that you know what? If you hear stories about Keanu, you know, working with him, you know, interacting with him, that's consistent with every story I've ever heard about the guy. So kudos to him, honestly. Like all good things to that guy. Yeah, it couldn't have happened to a, like a a cooler movie star, you know, and someone that has been cemented as an action star for a long time. You know, we're talking since really since Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, you know what I mean? Right. Um, where she's gone through so many phases of either it's point break all the way to the matrix, all the way to now John wick. And he's been able to maintain this kind of action star and not like a mockery, kind of expendables kind of thing where they're kind of poking fun at themselves, but in a way that right. he is still, I don't want to mess with him. He's still no. a badass, <laughs> um, you know, and, and Bruce Willis kind of ran it for a, a long time too. You know what I mean? Like Die Hard with a vengeance. He Die Hard with a vengeance. I say is kind of the same vein as uh, John wick in the sense that you have an aging McLean, you know, he's beat up, he's drunk for the first part of the movie. And um, it kind of works where, where John wick, he just gets, beat the hell up. You know what I mean? He just yeah. gets beat the hell up and they use his age like a, a properly. Like he's been retired for a while. And it actually, um, the two brothers he fights at the end actually says, well, he hasn't done this in five years. So he's a little rusty. <laughs> he's a little rusty. And you know what? That, that was the cool thing about this movie too, is like all over the place you had like within the film itself, like these signs of respect for John wick that, that haven't existed in really the past, you know, two films, like where you have literally characters saying like, Hey, just to let you know, it's an honor to fight you. <laughs> or like <laughs> at, the, at the end, at the end where the guy's like, Hey, that was a pretty good fight. Wasn't it? <laughs> he's like, he's like, all right, I just gotta, I gotta take a couple of breaths and I'll be okay. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You're okay. I, I mean, love that guy. That guy. Awesome too. Yeah. That guy's great. Cause he was the new uh, chairman Kaga and iron chef, right? That yes, actor. Yep. And I instantly knew him, and but he was so great. And I knew that he did martial arts, and he's been in a ton of movies, like from like, I think he was in. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's in Kickboxer, four, yep. three. I think, and that, and also double. He was one of the Double Dragons in the Double Dragon movie. Right. Yeah. Right. So he's been around <laughs> so, for a long time. He's been around. Yeah. yeah. And just the whole movie was filled with just action stars, and I love how 
these John Wick movies pull from everything that's great in action movies. Now, Chris, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movies The Raid. Have you seen The Raid 1 and 2? I've seen – only seen one of them. I, th- I think I saw The Raid 1. Okay. Yeah. Well, you need to buckle up and <laughs> – I, I really need to. You need to watch The Raid 2 because that movie too, when I saw that, same kind of gasps. There's one fight scene inside a car that's the most insane thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Until you saw John Wick, you know, these movies. Until you saw John Wick, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That movie just – it's relentless. I, I think, though, what makes the difference between the raids and John Wick is that expanded kind of universe feeling. And the only thing I could mm-hmm. describe it to uh, people that I was talking to over the weekend that had never seen a John Wick, they were, like, kind of poking fun at, you know – um oh, you know, John Wick and Keanu, he's such a bad actor, blah, 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 blah. And they're just kind of railing on him. I go, no, no, I really like these movies. These movies are a little different. They're like, why is that? I go, the only way I can relate them to you is it's almost like Harry Potter. (laughs) Mm. When Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter, he's just this orphan kid getting picked on by his adopted family. And then the second they walk through that wall in the train station and head to uh, Hogwarts and your universe expands, is almost like when John Wick goes to the first Continental. You yeah. know, you, you get the sense of, okay, now we're dealing with something that's a little bigger, a little bigger scope. And they and the second one solidified it even more and expanded it even more. And this one expanded it even further. And I hope they just keep going with that expansion of the universe. And I think they are. They definitely mm-hmm. set us up to have this kind of, you know, this board of the higher ups, like, we, we haven't even really met them yet. We we've don't even know who the high table of, is. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've kind of met their kind of delegates, which Taylor Mason from Billionaire uh, Billions was great in it. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I just hope it just keeps breathing and going. And I, I think after this opening weekend, we can look forward to a TV show and possibly uh, some more movies. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on, I'm fully on board. Whatever they want to do, go. Just do it. I'm there. A hundred percent. Yes. And actually one, one last thing I want to make sure I bring up, Uh, you know, another friend of mine said about the thing I marvel at John Wick is that Keanu is the only actor I know that could pull this off. Yep. And, and I'm, I'm fully bought into it. When I started thinking about other people like around his age, I'm thinking of guys like, you know, Brad Pitt, um, you know, Nicolas Cage would obviously take it too far. Um, like he is the only. <laughs> well, if you, if you saw Mandy, only... he does take it a little too far. <laughs> um, I mean, even guys who are no longer with us, like you know, the Patrick Swayze's of the world. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think they could do this. Like, it just, it's something about Keanu and his, in his aura that is just perfect for this character. That little, and, that little mystique that we really don't, yeah. know a lot about him. And you know, even in interviews with the actor Keanu Reeves. You know, his kind of upbringing, how he's, I, I don't know, is he from like Sri Lanka in Canada? In- he was born, he was born in Beirut. Right. And then his mom's like half Chinese and his dad, I mean, it's like reading his backstory is, is fascinating. I want to, I want a movie just about Keanu's backstory. I know. So. It's like, it's like a backstory <laughs> for a superhero. So that's why it works. <laughs> and you know, the fun, the, the thing that I love about most about Keanu is that between this and John Wick 4, he's doing Bill and Ted's 3. So like that's just like that's his one movie that he's doing between these two films uh, is John is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Part Three, which I think is going to be awesome. So well, you know what I think you know between you know we've always talked about the Cage, the Cage Meister, and um, how after you get that Oscar or after you make that ton of money, what do you do? You right. know what I mean? Do right. you do you go for pictures that are going to you know give you a paycheck, or do you say you know what I'm going to make something that I want to make that's going to be fun? 
fun to make and so good for him to make these movies that are, you know, basically a very basic premise, but a lot of hard work. And of course he's getting paid now, but you know, that first one was definitely a low budget affair. I don't think they thought it was going to be big Lionsgate put it out. It, mm-hmm. it, they definitely didn't think it was like a, a big thing. He hired his stuntman to direct it. <laughs> he was like, let's have some fun with this thing. And that came out of nowhere. And, you know, for him to do Bill and Ted's three, I, he's just having fun. So he's having it's fun. I love it. Right. I love and it. That's like the best of both worlds. When you, you can have a, someone that's having fun, you can tell they're having fun making the movie and the movies are successful. That's, that's when like the happy marriage of everything comes together. A hundred percent. Yeah. So folks, if you haven't gotten on the John Wick train, get on it. Yeah, and just bring a bulletproof vest. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun ride. Believe me. Believe me. All right. Well, that was honestly, John Wick was one of mine this week. Um, so I'll just cross that off my list. Right, cool. Um, next one, I mean, I got to talk about the other big story this week in entertainment is, is, of course, the end of Game of Thrones. Of course. Um, yeah, that, that'll and, be, you know what? This week we'll be, uh, we'll do some combos this week because we can't. <laughs> this is going to be a combo week. Yeah. Yeah, we can't talk about, we can't get away without talking about these huge events no, in entertainment. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, def- I mean, obviously, I, I watched the, the finale, watched it at home, did not, you know, get the grand you know visual experience that I, you know I'm sure you did last week and uh, I'm really curious to see what you did you know for the finale but you know overall I thought it was a pretty satisfying ending I definitely did not hate it as much as a lot of other you know online fan people did but um, I did find it a little bit anticlimactic at certain points but Ben what did you think about the whole finale I'm so glad you said that because uh, I, the backlash of this movie was insane. When I woke up on Monday morning mm. and me and my coworker, we, we both said the same thing. Like, what the hell is up with the internet? <laughs> like, that's literally what we said. Like every post was just like these posts of like this room full of clowns. And it'd say like, here's the writers to game of Thrones or, and then it'd be like, Oh, I'd never, never seen an episode of game of Thrones until last night. Cause I didn't miss much. Just all these haters, like all these trolls on the internet. It's the worst. And I was like, what the hell's going on? You're like, <laughs> like has, hasn't anyone seen this show? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, okay, let me just break it down. Okay. Of course you can be conflicted about their choices, especially in this last season. Right. And it's fair to say that they kind of rush things here and there. Um, because they had to end things. I, I get it. I can, I can feel it. I can feel it. I can sense it. But at the same time, that last episode needed to be what it was in, in terms of pacing and slowness, just like the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. You know, the same critique came out for that movie, you know, how it had like all it has 20 endings, but you have to wrap up all these storylines. You have to do it like that. You have to have some sort of uh, denouement after the climax you have mm-hmm. to have some sort of riding the rocket after the climax if you ended with danny just blazing more fire over winterfell and like rah, eyes full of red and then the cuts to black you'll be like all right that was a shitty ending because i want to see more and they're not going to make any more of these things <laughs> yeah exactly i mean <laughs> I, i'll be honest i was a little surprised that they again I'll just put this to the spoilers in the, in the before this, but um, I was surprised they killed Danny as quickly as they did in the episode itself. I was kind of expecting that a little bit later uh, in the episode, maybe building it up a little bit more. And it just seemed kind of like that happened. And then we had like an hour to go, you know, so to speak. So um, I would have liked if, if 
only if anything to change anything, I would have liked to have moved, have, probably moved that moment a little further along in the show. But um, again, I think things tied up, you know, the way that they were supposed to. It definitely left room f- uh, open for sequels if they ever want to do a sequel series. You've got a lot of blueprint there. Um, I'm really interested in what happens with Arya uh, traveling west of Westeros, trying to find out what's west of that. Well, that was one thing. That was one thing that my friend Christine said was she kind of felt like uh, we were being set up for sequels, mm. <laughs> like almost used. <laughs> I can kind of see that. Like you're like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, I guess here, take my money for the next sequels and right. all this stuff. Like that kind of felt a little forced too but i get that critique a little yeah i mean we do have the prequel series that's coming out next year so you know we have that to look out for but yeah it, it was a, a couple interesting endings there mm-hmm. um, but I got, uh, i'm glad we got to see uh Bron again um yeah i was so curious about him and they didn't show him till like very close to the end well did you hear about the dra- backstage drama about that whole situation no 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 so apparently he and Lena Headley were dating during the show um, and they had a really bad breakup and she refused if he like to film if he was going to be on set at all that day. So that's why you scarcely saw him in a lot of scenes uh, in a lot of episodes is that he, they just did they because because. You know, Lena Headley had a lot of work that day, uh, or those days, or whatnot. He was not around, so they. Whoa! She had, she, yeah, she put her foot down. Apparently, it was a really bad situation, and she just said, "Like the days that he's here, I'm not going to be anywhere on, near on set." So they're like, "All right, well, most of the season kind of centers around you." So, Bron, see ya, <laughs> deuces. Wow. So yeah, that there's really some those articles are just starting to come out now, which I think is pretty. Oh, that's so interesting because you know even before the episode, I was talking to my sister, and you know I think we we touched upon it a little last week about how, um, what's his face, um, Huron killed Jamie, right? <laughs> yep, and killed a dragon too. <laughs> um, did a lot of damage in this series, and really wasn't a well defined character at all, really. Um just kind of a 2d character yeah you know that was probably like one of the worst characters in the show a show filled with three-dimensional characters you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. a show that has tywin like the tyrant he should be like a 2d character that comes on screen does some nasty shit starts some wars you know throws his son in jail and <laughs> you know what i mean kicks cersei in the face and yep you know just moves on but he was such a 3d character he was one of my favorite characters in the whole show the whole show um and then you have this guy named huron who rolls up, does a lot of damage to the show, kills a dragon out of nowhere, kills Jamie really out of nowhere, randomly rolls up on a beach and just like, hey, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, no, don't. Hey, don't you like Cersei, my sister, too? And isn't she pregnant? Nah, screw her. Let's fight. <laughs> like, it was like, what? <laughs> OK, like the motivation was just all out of the place. So but I said this to my sister and now it makes sense what you just said about backstage or the backstage drama. Imagine if. You replace Euron, all those scenes with Euron, the killing the dragon with Jamie and blah, 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 all those scenes with Bronn. Yeah. Imagine the gravitas going into those scenes. You know what I mean? A character that we know well, but we know Bronn, he could be bought either way. You pay him enough. You know what I mean? He's a killer for hire. He'll kill Jamie. Right. He'll kill Tyrion. He'll kill anyone as long as he thinks he's going to get paid and he's on the right side. Let's do this thing. He'll kill a freaking dragon. But how devastating would that be if a character that we love that we've kind of grown to know did those events 
and how much weight they would have had. Mm. That was my kind of thought on on Huron kind of wrapping up, but it was good to see him. I mean, he's he's a great character. It was cool to kind of see him have a happy ending. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I, I love the debate about like the master of coin of like, well, we could have brothels instead of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need ships. We need brothels. <laughs> he goes, uh, he's like, no, I think we need ships. He's like, well, I, apparently you're not using these brothels, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was really great. So uh, yeah, no, I, I think it ended. I think it ended on a on a, a high note. Um, yeah, no, I just I'm I'm interested to see what happens now. I mean, this is a cash cow. This is a cash cow for HBO. They're not going to let this go anytime soon. And you know, for those of I mean, you and I talked about this in the past of like, oh man, like you know, the days of these event TV shows are kind of maybe over. Well, I mean, maybe HBO is saying, you know, what with this prequel series. We're going to get a second life, you know, of the Game of Thrones fandom, so to speak. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Honestly. I, I, and this show was supposed to subvert our expectations about a fairy tale. And so, you know, looking back after last week and what we talked about with Cersei and Jamie and actually seeing their final end and actually knowing that that's the finale, um, it kind of subverted the expectation of a fairy tale where they should have in in all traditional fairy tale storytelling movie storytelling really Cersei and Jamie should have got their comeuppance you know what I mean they definitely should have been owned <laughs> you know what I mean in a mm-hmm. they should have been gobbled up by the dragon and torn into shreds you know what I mean in this kind of grandiose way but them clutching each other and having really a happy ending kind of did mess with your expectations of a storyline a show that you know mm. where Ned Stark just gets killed you know boom right off the bat and you know one of his boys that you think is going to avenge his death, boom, he gets killed. You know, that that those scenes are shocking because you think this thing's going to go one way. And maybe people are still in shock. And I think people still need to maybe need to take a step back and just say, okay, what was this show trying to do? What was the whole point of this show? And I think that's really what it was. It was to try to switch up the our whole expectation of what a fairy tale is. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Good stuff, man. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, see what else you got for this week. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's do a little segue. All right. You ready right. for the segue? Let's do and it. This is Peter Dinklage news. Um, off of geektyrant.com, we have Mel Gibson looking to cast Peter Dinklage, Jamie Foxx, and Michael Fassbender in the Wild Bunch remake. So, a couple thoughts on this, Chris. Mm. Uh, one, uh, I love the Wild Bunch. Love Sam Peckinpah. Uh, some of his movies are some of my favorite, you know, avant-garde Western craziness movies, and the behind-the-scenes stories are nuts. That's not the problem with this. Wild Bunch could make a great remake. My problem, of course, is working with Mel Gibson. Mm. Um, now, when Jodie Foster directed that movie, The Beaver, with Mel Gibson. You know, pretty close to after all of his scandals and stuff like that, and, and the anti-Semitism and the crazy phone calls to his ex, and blah 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 blah. blah. You know, that was hard to take. I, I didn't see that thing. What are your thoughts on these actors? Now, listen to this. Listen to this again. Peter Dinklage, Jamie Fox, Michael Fassbender. Like, this is what he wants. I don't know if they actually signed on or did anything. Right. What would you think of actors working with him in regard of? to his scandals? Huh, that's a good question. Yeah. We seem to be in this, this era now where <clears throat> Hollywood seems to have this like 
there's like a 10 year forgiveness period. Like if you screwed up and you're okay for 10 years, like then Hollywood starts to kind of welcome you back and things like that. And when you're talking about people like Mel Gibson and Woody Allen and Roman Polanski, like these people that are connected to some really, you know, terrible things. um, It is a little weird to see these actors, especially ones that have been so vocal about, you know, the anti issues that they're basically uh, got in trouble for, you know, like, it is weird to see them sign up so quickly, you know, for the, some of these projects. Like a lot of people, you know, with Woody Allen, like, you know, despite what happened there, it's Woody Allen. So I'm going to, of course, I'm going to sign up and, and do his film. Same thing with Roman Polanski, despite the fact that he's, you know, run away from, you know, rape charges for over 30 years, you know, um, I'll, I'll go, I'll go overseas to work with the guys. So it's just, it's one of those things where it's a classic, you know, I'm putting my career interests and, in, potential success above morals. Now, what's interesting is usually that's done for what, you know, people consider are Oscar worthy films. I don't know about a remake about the wild bunch would make me want to go out and say, okay, that's going to be the movie where I'm going to just say, throw morals out the window. I want to work with Mel Gibson. I just don't know. I don't, you know, it's just not that type of movie. For right. Me. I, I I don't know. You know. And also I don't like, I don't like them remaking the wild bunch. No, anyway. I know. That's, that's an awful idea. Perfect I know. <laughs> I love that movie. Still love that movie. Love the whole cast. Love the whole thing. Um, I was actually, I was actually angry that they made, uh, they remade the Magnificent Seven um, yeah. until I saw it, and I was like, okay, that was a half decent movie. But it was a half decent movie that could have just been named something else, right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on it? I don't know. I, I that one is a tough pill to swallow, and and I've been, I mean, quote me on this podcast to say that I, you know, still hold Roman Polanski films in high regard as far as, you know, those are the films that you watch in film class and stuff like that. Um, and so it's hard for me to disconnect his art to his heinous <laughs> crimes, I guess crimes really um, where Mel Gibson to me is still, it's wicked soon for me. And I just don't know. I just don't know how you work with someone like that and have any kind of Jewish friends. <laughs> like if you're an actor and have any kind of like, not even yourself being Jewish or, uh, but just have a buddy and like, wouldn't your friend go, dude, what the F <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I, I just don't know. And that's what it calls to mind. I, to me, anything, any kind of anything that distracts me from actually what I'm watching is rubbish. I, I, I might as well not even watch it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We just talked about two great movie slash TV events where I didn't think of anything but what was going on on the screen. You know what I mean? As Chris Cornell puts it, it didn't remind me of anything. <laughs> I love it because it didn't remind me of anything. I just loved it for it. You know what I right. mean? It just right. was one of those things that I just couldn't stop watching. And I love like, especially John Wick, <laughs> like there could have been like a, they could have been bulldozing the building. I was watching the movie and I'd be like, can we just hold off for five minutes? Please, please. <laughs> I was just not distracted in the moment. I love yeah. It. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thoughts on everything. And, and maybe that's me being a little selfish when it comes to art, but I want to be entertained. You know, that's the reason of this podcast is talking about entertainment. And, you know, if a scandal gets in the way of entertainment, then it's Mm self-defeating. It's, you know, if 
there's, you know, performance artists and, you know, shock artists out there that do things. So the art means something more. That's one thing because it enhances the art that you're watching, whether it be a naked woman dumping paint on themselves on the side of the street or, you know, something random, but it's for art's sake. It's not like you did a scandalous thing. Now I can't watch your movie. <laughs> that's self-defeating against what you're doing in the first place. It's shooting yourself in the foot. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on the whole thing. And not that do I believe that he should never work ever again? Or I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of like the court of public opinion now it's, and I have yeah. an opinion. I'm the public. So I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I agree a hundred percent with you. I mean, with, especially with the, the fallout from the me too movement where, you know, I, I'll be honest. One of my favorite shows on Netflix of all time was, um, Master of None with Aziz Aznari, and right. I have I have not watched a single episode since his story broke. Louis, I mean that FX series was genius. Right. I can't watch a single episode without thinking about it. So it just, you know, it it's distracting as a viewer, a hundred percent right. And then thinking as as myself as an actor myself, and I'm like, would I ever even work with those guys if given the chance? You know what? I don't think I would, but who knows? I mean, it's just it's it's such an interesting. And depressing thing to think about sometimes, but uh, yeah, no, interesting nonetheless. Crazy. Yeah, I, I, I just because I've been put in that. I'm not in that position, but I've I've been put in a position where I've been offered a, a role and a part, and I had to turn it down because I just didn't care for the guy and the way he ran. You know, rehearsals. He was just kind of a jerk. You know, what I mean, it's not like he had some mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. scandal where he was saying something racist or sexist. Just the guy was a jerk, and so. <laughs> I knew as an actor that I would be distracted while trying to make something and my, it would hurt my Mm. performance. Um, yeah. So I, I I wouldn't feel bad about turning down something, especially if it, if it meant enhancing the art that you're trying to create in the first place. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking things, but that, 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 when I read that article and saw that headline, it, it, it stood out to me. I was like, how could they even think about doing that? I don't know. That's just my thoughts. Right. And, and, and not for nothing, I don't, all those actors, they don't need to do this movie. Like it doesn't no, elevate their right. careers uh, at all. It doesn't put them into an Oscar contention at all. So yeah, no need to do no need. If any of them are listening, no need to do this, please. Dear God. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, um, my next uh, subject here is pretty interesting. I, I found out over the weekend that the sword master, for Game of Thrones is an alumni of the school that I work for, the Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. He's cool. actually one of the sort. So he actually builds a lot of weapons on Game of Thrones, which I thought was just the coolest thing I've ever heard. Um, and it got he did this kind of like cool video where um, for SCAD where he showed like you know I had you know basically he had no training uh, in design before getting to college. He got into it through prop design. And then found a love for designing weapons and things like that. And he's now he's worked ever like nonstop ever since. He's worked on the Hobbit. He didn't work wow. on the Lord of the Rings, but he worked on the Hobbit series and I mean all these movies. And it made me think, like, man, if I could do it all over again, I would love to have gotten into prop design or weapon designers, things like that. So it got me thinking about all these different areas within theater, with entertainment, and and the, the things I wish I had done. So to speak. So Ben, I wanted to ask you, are there any like areas, whether it's props, whether it's lighting or even like um, types of characters, if you will, that you're just like, man, I wish I had gotten my 
done that at some point. Oh yeah, I mean, it definitely. Uh, there's still characters and types of characters like specific and not specific that I would love to play. Um, but just uh, talking about like a different area, I think I feel like I'm I'm looking for my new area to kind of delve into. I've been trying to experiment a little more with my music and not have things sound so music e <laughs> for lack of a better adjective um and trying to expand what music means to me um but i remember when we went to college there was a guy that did metal work you know kind of similar to not swords or anything but he would create these giant metal pieces in front of you and bang them out and weld them like right in front of you and it would be a live performance as this guy made a metal sculpture and i always thought it was the coolest thing that was so beyond me you know, I am the first to admit I am definitely not someone that knows how to like fix cars or do anything <laughs> handy like that. I mean, I was a stage carp and it was, you know, pretty much a grunt behind the scenes anyway. You know, what I mean, I'd build things, but it was like, you better give me some really tight instructions and tell me what, you know, tools to use like at every step of the way or I'll kill myself and others. Um, but I always thought that was something that was just so beyond me like in awe like whenever i see a sculpture or metal work or a giant piece of like art like that or a giant painting like we just went to the norman rockwell museum which was really cool with the kiddo in uh, the berkshires and i just am i'm in awe i i, I don't even know where to start you know what i mean yeah like i yeah. love watching things like that and I'm, I'm like i don't even know what step one would be to get to that level <laughs> <laughs> so that's my pick, I guess. I what's it. your pick, Chris? What's what's your pick? Oh, you know that uh, definitely like props and, and weapons, you know, making and things like that. That was that was one that really stood out to me. But then also like, as weird as it sounds, like makeup, like like prosthetics and makeup. I, I remember like we took, I think it was in, a, I think it was either an individual class or it might have just been something else. But we took like a makeup class in college in theater, and we got those Ben Nye kits. Um, and things like that. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, I got yeah, those. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just threw mine out because it was like, <laughs> like 20 years old. I was dying. <laughs> um, and I, I actually found myself loving that, that process back then and then never really exploring that any further. And, um, I really wish I had. I also wish that I had finished pro projects. Like I, I started writing, you know, s uh, short scripts and films and things like that where I'm like, oh, this, wouldn't this be cool to film? And, I had a camcorder, you know, I was like, why didn't I just film it? So yeah, right. things like that just drive me nuts left and right. But then again, like, you know, paths, they, you know, they, they, there's a purpose for everything, so to speak. So, you know, who knows, who knows, but yeah, no, there, there's just like, there's specific things that I've made. I'm like, man, I wish I'd just explored that a little further, but it's not too late though. That's the good thing. No, right. I was just going to say that, like the things that you just mentioned were, are, things that you can do when you get older too. It's not like they're right. you're lifting a hundred pounds over your head or something. <laughs> like as you get older, you can still go and take a couple classes and do those things. Like my friend, Greg, who did the uh, Kessel run, um, he went to school in Pittsburgh for um, movie um, makeup and uh, nice. cinema makeup. And he actually met Tom Savini. Whoa. Uh, do you know who Tom Savini is? Of course. Come on now. Okay, the Sex Machine and you know Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, all the things. Makeup um, extraordinaire, yeah. Trained the K&B effects team and just the whole thing. And he actually met Tom Savini, said he was the coolest dude, but he knows how to do all those things. And so when we're on the Kessel Run, if, you ever, if you've ever seen Greg's house, it's filled with Star Wars stuff that he's actually built and actually fabricated himself. And that 
I have so much respect for that. And that's, that's one of those things that's so beyond me. <laughs> like I'll just pay someone to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's very cool. That's very cool. So yeah, but like, like you said, you know, the lesson is it's, it's never too late to, to explore these things. So um, unless it's like, I want to do this before I'm, you know, turn 30, but <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> um, all right, sir. What else you got this week? Um, all right. I got, I got one. Uh, I think this is my number three, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Soundgarden announces, uh, live from the artist den album release trailer for a concert film. So this was from spin uh, magazine, which is actually a really cool, um, source for music news. Um, and, uh, I, between them and, um, BBC six radio, which I highly recommend. I think I've said it a couple times on this podcast, um, BBC six radio, you can just Google it on your podcast reader or everything. It's a live um, stream and they just play like really good music. It's hard for me to describe. It's, it's multi-format genre. It's almost like college radio, but it's international. (laughs) So they change formats every couple hours. So there's like a jazz guy, there's a funk guy, there's a rock guy, and then you have your drive time commute, but it's five hours behind on the East coast. So when it's like 9 PM here, it's, you know, two in the morning there. And so you get like these great, like concerts or interviews. It's awesome. BBC six, and Spin Magazine, and they've been talking about this um, Soundgarden album slash video. So um, this was record, recorded um, back in, let's see, uh, it's from their one of their last albums that was, or their last album in 2013. Um, it was in that same year. It's never been released. It's never been seen, never been heard. Whoa. Anything. And so um, really interesting. Um so this was a um, from uh, Chris Cornell's widow, Vicky Cornell. This live show was really special, and I know how much Chris, f- how much fun Chris had that night. The idea of giving fans an opportunity to experience it in its entirety is something I'm proud to share with them. And it was filmed in like 360, and it was filmed multiple cameras, and they haven't used this yet till now. So, uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on? Cornell, Soundgarden, the whole the whole thing, Temple of Dog. What what do you think of that man? I mean, he's a god. If we're making a Mount <laughs> Rushmore of that era of music, um, he's on it along with, you know, Cobain and 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 Pearl Jam and and Allison Chains. Um, a one of a kind voice. I mean, when we talk about distinctive voices in music, where you, the second you hear them sing, it's like that's Chris Cornell, like unmistakable and what i always loved about chris cornell as a as just from his instrument of voice uh was not only his his power obviously but his range and how he could he could go loud when he needed to and then for those softer ballads for those more introspective songs when he would go acoustic like it's just it was an incredible sound um and you know, any, any band that he was part of, I mean, Temple of Dog, you know, Soundgarden, solo stuff. Um, and Audio Slave. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it just, he elevated everything that he was a part of. And um, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's a generational voice. I don't, you know, it's very rare to see a, a, a front, you know, a lead singer um, like that. So yeah, no, terrible, terrible loss that he's not around uh, anymore. It really is. It's, it's, because you got a sense that he wasn't stopping either. He was still creating. He was still, you know, working with tons of artists and what he was doing with solo work now, just all his kind of 
uh, reimagining of uh, the song Imagine and uh, Nothing Compares to You and uh, all these kind of wild remakes that he had was just so amazing. And it is a great loss. And I just can't wait to see this record. Anything that they have on this guy, just release it. I just, I can't get enough. Uh, one of my favorite albums is, I don't know if you've heard this one, Chris. It's, um, it's the Chris Cornell unplugged album. You know that one? I've heard parts of it. I have never, I've never listened to the entire um, album straight through. Right. It's really good. I, I don't know the name of it. I could dig through the records right now, but I don't want to do that. Um, but um, it's it's a great – it's a double LP. I have it on record, and it sounds freaking amazing. His voice just cuts through, and it's just him with a guitar and an audience. And he does tracks from Soundgarden, Audio Slave, and then solo stuff. He does um, you know, all those great kind of remakes of everything. He does Billie Jean by uh, Michael Jackson. And just, I don't know, uh, it's awesome. I can't wait to see what the tracks are and I can't wait for this concert. So it's called, um, it's called Live from the Artist Den album. It's going to be the album and the video. So I can't wait. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. All right. Well, that actually segues kind of into what I had to talk about next, which kind of, kind of sad note too. Um, So earlier in the year, we lost Luke Perry, uh, the great nineties, you know, actor, um, really untimely, but he is appearing in the upcoming Quentin Tarantino film once upon a time in Hollywood, which a lot of people are very excited about. And, uh, the final, yeah, I just saw the trailer. Awesome, dude. Yeah. Final trailer came out. Looks fantastic. Um, and in an interview with Esquire, a really cool moment in this interview where both Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio talk about how they absolutely lost their shit when they met Luke Perry. Like, they were like, Oh my God, it's Luke Perry, the icon of coolness, like all this stuff. And they just talk about how much they wow. freaked out getting to, to work with him and getting to meet him. And, I, and you know, you, this is Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, two of the biggest stars on the planet. And they're like ever, <laughs> right. like ever exactly. And they're starstruck by, by Luke Perry. And I just thought that was a really cool thing that they talked about uh, in the interview and just another tribute to, I, I think an underrated actor. I think, you know, Nano Tuono is obviously a launching point, but he, he had done some other really good stuff uh, over his career as well. But um, yeah, just, just a really cool little notation interview. That's all I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned, but uh, there you go. No, great. Yeah, totally. I just watched that trailer um, and they don't really show a lot of him, but they show some Kurt Russell in there. Looks oh, yeah. like he might be potentially, um, I don't know if it's the actual character, but looks like stuntman Mike from uh, Death Proof. <laughs> looks like a, a stuntman, like that's a friend with Brad Pitt, which uh, wouldn't make sense chronologically if unless he had a time machine and went back in time. But maybe that Death Proof car went 88 one day and <laughs> shot him back into whatever, 1964, whatever it is. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, what, you know, it was such a great character. I love. You know, what, whatever your thoughts are on the movie Death Death Proof, Stuntman Mike is, to me, an iconic Tarantino character. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, the reveal of Stuntman Mike, even above the reveal of the car and what the movie was about, was one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen in the theater. I mean, me and my friends were <laughs> the only group of friends to see <laughs> the double feature of <laughs> Planet Terror and Death Proof because it didn't really do a lot. Um but when he is revealed in that scene in the bar and he's eating the nachos and the coat and every, it's just a fully imagined character, almost a cartoon. And 
who better to play it than Snake Plissken himself, you know, Kurt Russell. It's just the marriage of creativity and acting and everything in that scene. There's so many iconic lines like, uh, are you afraid of my car? Or no, are you afraid of my scar? No, I'm afraid of your car. (laughs) I love it. Just a great (laughs) movie. And I just can't wait for it. It looks like Tarantino has this playground and this time that he has delved into. So, Chris... After watching that trailer, here we go. I was actually going to talk about the trailer during uh, YouTube, but oh, okay. Any, we're probably going to be a thousand percent wrong. We don't know anything. We're not insiders in Hollywood, and we don't have QT on the you know cell phone or something like that. Um, any guesses at what this movie's angle is going to be? <laughs> you know, do you have that, any guesses? I don't. And you know what's weird is I never do with Tarantino films. I have never once, with the exception of, you know, Kill Bill Volume 2, known kind of like right. what it, what I'm going to get when I walk in the theater. And I love it. I love that. I'm trying to clear my head <laughs> because they definitely show Charlie Manson, right? Yes. And from the trailer, you might think that it's going to be about the Tate murders. It's going to end with them or do something with them. But you never know with Tarantino. It, it might they all just might hang out and never even get to that part in time <laughs> or just like in freaking inglorious bastards, he might change time and what happened in time. So you don't even know if Hitler's going to be killed by one of these guys <laughs> or he's going to go on living. You don't know. So Charlie Manson could go on to be a world famous musician in this <laughs> world. You know what I mean? So I just can't wait. I, I just can't wait. It, it's just one of those, like, I, again, with, with Tarantino, the way he writes films, the way that there's just a certain mystery about what you're going to get walking in. I'm, I'm all, I'm on board. So, you know, I, I can't wait, but yeah, no, it's, I, it's got an incredible cast, uh, just incredible backstage stories already coming out about the making of this film. So yeah, really looking forward to it. Can't wait. You know how we were talking about, um, oh my God, Hateful Eight and the whole tragedy about someone leaking the script. Mm-hmm. Um, I read another article that Tarantino put out like like this kind of public announcement. I don't know if it was on Twitter or, or whatever. It, it, it just said, please be respectful of audiences who haven't seen the movie and try not to spoil things inside the movie and ruin it for others, which was really kind of cool. That is cool. That is cool. Love it. Yeah. All right. All right, sir. What else you got? All right, so uh, for my number four, I have um, Netflix is coming to E3 this year to make some video game announcements. What? Yep. So they did this kind of, it's hard for me to describe, this kind of Twitter kind of curious statement release thing, kind of hinting at Netflix gaming. This kind of, hey, can we get a panel at this E3 thing? Just checking in and, you know, Netflix is going to try to up their game by introducing more games based on their original content. So I don't know if they're trying to release like a Netflix stick that you could play games on or with inside your streaming service. Can you interact with things kind of like the um, Black Mirror? Um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Jabberwocky or what was it called? <laughs> Sorry. Um, the, oh, um, um yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> I can't remember the choose your own adventure thing. Yeah, right. Um, so <laughs> the choose your own adventure thing. So I don't know if that is hinting, but no one knows what this is about. But they are going to be at E three and releasing something or hinting at something. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, 
you know, I, I think that whole choose your own adventure, and there's a, actually there's a couple of them. My son's watching one on the kids section of Netflix where it's like a choose your own adventure thing as well. I think this this was like their their first entry into this world. Um, there, I mean, Netflix is so drunk on money right now that they're just throwing stuff against the wall to see if it works. You know what? Go for yeah. it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You know, um, they could potentially change the way that we play games. I mean. Whew, I don't know. That's that's crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah, I know. I I mean, I I'm thinking back to like when we were in college, and uh, I would sit and watch my roommate Rob play like Resident Evil Two, and you know, <laughs> think about Resident Evil Two for like PlayStation One and just how cinematic that game was and ahead of its time for. I mean, you look at it now; it's it's god awful. <laughs> um, but at the time, the graphics were state of the art. It was an actual scary game. He would hook up his PlayStation to like the big speakers in the room and we would sit there and watch him play. You know what I mean? And so imagine if there was a game that looked so good, that had great acting in it, that you could actually sit and watch someone play and watch them make choices and actually hand the controller off and say, all right, you do this scene. You know what I mean? All right, I'll take the third act. You take the second act. Imagine if there was a, some sort of communal experience because right now in in this day and age we are separate you know what i mean like when think about when you were a kid and you'd get together for like star trek next generation like you know what i mean with your dad or something like that those days are over because you know you, and that's kind of sad because you're not experiencing entertainment in the same way and having that kind of connection in that moment but everyone has their tablet in their bedroom. Everyone has, you know, the TV here, the, you know, the, their phone out back. And so imagine if Netflix somehow shaped this thing. So we all started kind of uh, using entertainment together again. That, that That's my hope for something like that's, that. That's honestly, if that's what they're doing, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. I think that's a great idea. Honestly. Um, wow. That's, I'm, I'm, that's crazy. I can't, I can't wait. I'm excited to see what they're going to come out with. That's, that's very cool, man. Yeah. I just love how they're just kind of like, like you said, they're, they got tons of money and they're just trying to be innovative. And I, I love that as opposed to being stagnant and, you know, you have like a hit show and it's like, Hey, let's do stranger things and stranger things. And, you know, just trying to <laughs> cash in on something, but they're trying to do something different. I love it. I love it. Love I love it. it. I love it. Excellent stuff. All right. So for my last pick and, um, you know, we've been doing this for the past couple episodes of looking at some pretty interesting uh, upcoming films for certain actors. And what I love is that the, 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 the gift of Nicolas Cage's career is the gift that keeps on giving. Yes. And in, in a matter of two weeks, my friend. Yeah. What are you about to say? I'm so excited. I'm tingling. I'm tingling right now. <laughs> There's like three new movies one of which is already in post-production that I had no idea he had made. Uh, it wasn't on there two weeks ago, and yet it's in post already. So, Chris, let's Chris, back if and, you say Wicker Man, if you say Wicker Man 2, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's that. But oh, all right. I, do have, I do have three new movies um, that you need to know about, about <laughs> with Nicolas Cage. Okay. All right. All right, all right. Here it all right, is. I'm ready. I'm ready. You ready? You ready? Okay. The first is called Running with the Devil. Okay. And it's about the CEO of an international conglomerate who sends two of his most regarded executives to investigate why shipments of cocaine are being hijacked over 
somewhere or or, or overcut somewhere on the supply chain. Like, <laughs> okay, okay, there you go. Okay, it stars Nicolas Cage. His character is just called the Cook. <laughs> um, co-starring, co-starring Lawrence Fishburne, whose character is called the Man. And then it then it rattles off like the greatest cast of B star level players I've ever seen. Like you've got Leslie Bibb in there, you've got Cole Hauser in there, oh. you've got Barry Pepper in there. Shut up. You've got Adam Adam Goldberg's in there. Uh Peter Fascinelli from you know, Can't Hardly Wait's in there. I mean, it's crazy. And they're all called like the farmer, the Wait, wait, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. What, what did you just say to me? Wait, the kid from Can't Hardly Wait is in this yeah. movie with Cole Hauser, Cole the guy Hauser. from Pitch Black and Dazed and Confused. Yep. And Adam Goldberg, who's also in Dazed and Confused. So there you go. Like, um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. This <laughs> this movie looks ridiculous. And um, it's, it's called Running with the Devil. There's already a poster, which looks um, – which looks glorious. Which looks glorious. Oh, and and oh my gosh, my, one of my favorite, um, that guy's Clifton Collins Jr. is in this. You know Clifton Collins is? Love that guy. Oh, one eight seven all day, motherfucker. I love one eight seven. I love, uh, man. I love him. He is in everything. He was in. Um, do you ever see that movie Sunshine Cleaning? No. Where the girls start their own. Um, so like they clean up crime scene business. <laughs> You ever seen that? It was like an independent movie. It came out maybe like five, six years ago. He was so funny in this movie. Anytime he hits the screen, he always does something like crazy and different. And I just, I love the man. Awesome. I love it so much. He's awesome. So yeah, this movie running, running with the devil, it's called. Um, it's I, it, no, no, no release date. It's just in post, which was not, it, again, so it's not on his list two weeks ago. Then he has another movie coming out called Color Out of Space. Color Out of Space. It's actually based on an H.P. Lovecraft novel. Um, and it's about okay. a town that is struck by a meteorite. Okay. And the fallout is catastrophic. And it stars him with Jolie Richardson and Tommy Chong. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So – Hardcore intense drama, you're thinking, or, or <laughs> with Tommy Chong, or I don't know. It, who knows? Who oh knows? Oh my god! Uh, and then finally, that he's is got a so movie coming great. out called Ten Double Zero, and it's it's ten the number ten, and then spelled out double zero okay. after this. Um, and actually, we get a kind of a full summary almost. It's about a detective named Damon Rees is infamous for crossing the line when he has to. After several fellow officers are killed in a brazen public shootout with bank robbers, Reeves and his partner, Detective Anthony Laval, set out on a personal vendetta to hunt down the cop killers. As they get closer to solving the crime, they soon find themselves the targets of a conspiracy in the ranks of the police force as the investigation leads right back to them. <laughs> Wait, That's what? a thrilling movie. <laughs> Did they just tell us the end of the movie? <laughs> I think it did. But it just it just excellent. it just stars him. Um there's no other there's no other oh wait, there's another guy named Paul Sloan uh who's also in it, but it's just Nicolas Cage 
and it's directed by a guy by the name of Christian Sesma, who like is known for doing the Vigilante series, the Vigilante Diaries, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, just ultra ultra violent um movie. But that's that's what the so again, like we talked about how it's incredible how we can just hit refresh on his IMDB and all of a sudden there'll be, you know, new projects popping up for Nicolas Cage. Sure enough, two weeks later, three more movies are on the docket. So um there you go. I love oh, I love it. I love it. I, I love it so much. Just I love how he's going for the John Carradine stats on IMDB and just <laughs> trying to get so many movie stats. I don't know if that's his his work, but you know, Chris, bold prediction from this guy right here, Ben Frawley, are one of these movies going to hit, go so viral, and then become actually legit good and spin off into multiple sequels like a John Wick? Do you think that's no. going to happen? No. I mean, one could <laughs> Not these ones. Um, maybe maybe that primal <laughs> one where he's like the guy that's trapped on the boat with all the animals. Uh, that, could, that could be something. That sounded great. That was uh, primal. Yeah, primal. That was um, good. Assassins and wild animals trapped on a boat together. Uh, <laughs> I'm in. So that was amazing, Chris. Seriously, this is my new favorite segment on the show. And <laughs> if we just repeat these titles every week, I, would we really care if we just keep talking about the same future projects? Oh, I don't care. Why not? Why not? Oh my gosh! All right, so you got anything else for your number five? I do. I do. I do. So. um there is a Star Trek featurette, and um, this is also on Geek China. They had some great articles this week, um, and they were talking about how um, – so there's a new Star Trek show um, coming out. I believe it's called Discovery. Sorry, Star Trek Discovery, and it brings back the captain, Jean-Luc Picard. Mm. Um, it brings back uh, Patrick Stewart playing him in the iconic role, and the article goes into why – Jean-Luc Picard, the captain, was instantly a great character, like episode one and just right off the bat, and goes into how it's definitely Patrick Stewart's background in Shakespeare theater and just brings that gravity and weight to a show that should be ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like one bad special effect in the late 80s on that show and we're out. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. when that show really got elevated by – his acting um, and the acting the actors that surrounded him. And you just got a sense that he, you get a sense that he's just like a fun guy to hang out with too. And you got a sense that he worked well with the cast. He's a very giving actor and every single interview I've, I've heard about Picard or sorry, Patrick Stewart. um, He isn't scared to give other actors, you know, time to grow on stage. And because he is so, kind of he has the it factor you know and especially as picard you can't take your eyes off of patrick stewart i'm really excited for him to come back to this universe i, I can't wait to see what the kind of plot of everything is um you know i know the last episode of star trek next generation um was kind of definitely a trip out and in some of the you know we're talking about multiverse kind of things in the mcu now but that was done a long time ago on the finale of Star Trek uh, Next Generation. So go back and watch that. Um, but in a couple of the versions of Picard, he's retired. A couple versions, he's dead. So they really can take his character anywhere. Chris, what were your thoughts? Are you a Trekkie Trekker? What what what, what do you think? That's a great question. I, I'm not a huge Trekkie. 
Uh, I'll admit that right off the, the bat. I'm definitely not into that universe as far as I am in, you know, Star Wars and other, you know, science fiction, um, gotcha. so to speak. Basically because I, I – this is going to sound terrible and, and I apologize to anybody listening who feels this way. I, I get turned off by the people, if that makes sense. I don't know what it is about Trekkies, but in all my experiences with them, I've, I've very rarely had a very positive experience uh, with them in the past. So I just find them to be – passionate but also easily toxic at the same time i don't know maybe that's a hot take Whoa. yeah maybe i'm generalizing Whoa, hot take hot take uh, you just totally like shots fired across the bow right like across across the bridge like holy you shit. know like i was totally on board with like you know the, the reboot with chris pine and all these new guys and then like i'd walk out of the theater and people like you know i just hear so much hate about it you know right off the bat i'm like oh yeah because like what you want is to go back to the kirk uh you know uh, TV show is that what you want? Like the campiness of the TV show? Right. What what will make you people happy? So you know, um, <laughs> it's like the uh, it's like the Star Trek uh, sketch on uh, Saturday Night. Get a life, people. <laughs> Get a life, people. <laughs> Who's the show? <laughs> but like the thing is, like, and, and and this is maybe this is maybe another hot take. Like for as much as like people are protective about this this franchise, this series, like this this whole property. I mean, it's never really done that well um like all the movies like if you look at their movies they they never gross that much money right, um right. it's it's like if, if people are like well star wars is better than you know star trek is better than star wars it's not even close it's not even close so um it's just yeah i i, I it's one of those series where i try to get into it every now and then like a new television series will, will kind of pull me in like what was the one with scott bacula as the as the captain, do you remember that one? Uh, that was um, Enterprise. Enterprise. It was just Enterprise. That was, good. That, was yeah. good. that was good. That was good. That got me in there. And then all of a sudden, I yep. I read all this fan hate about it and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's I I have very mixed feelings when it comes to the the Star Trek uh, universe, so to speak. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. I mean, it is definitely one of those cult. I mean, it is probably the generator of the word cult. I mean, it is definitely a cult between this and Star Wars. Um, it has a cult following and people that have extreme opinions about it. I mean, that being said, I have extreme opinions about certain movies in the Star Wars universe as well. Um, but, you know, I, I consider myself, um, I, I'm going to say I've definitely slacked in the past couple series that came out. I watched the newest one with the woman from Walking Dead on CBS. I watched uh, the first season of that. That was good, um, but not my favorite. Mm-hmm. But Star Trek Next Generation, uh, the reason why I like it, Chris, and maybe, you know, I wouldn't recommend watching the whole thing. That would take quite a bit. Um, but, you know, you kind of get the gist of what the show is about. And I think you could hop around to a couple key episodes in the whole series. And I think you would get why I, I really gravitated towards it, me and my dad. I mean, to me, when good science fiction is when... It's less about the actual space or technology and more about the human um, frailty on the screen. You know what I mean? Like the human virtues, mm -hmm. the human kind of values on the screen. And that show was able to do that many, many, many times. And, and I think you can point right to Patrick Stewart and his gravity. You know, someone that would do, you know, Macbeth or Hamlet is taking the show super seriously and he would act his ass off on the show. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I, I think, you know, I, 
there's probably a couple episodes and maybe next week I'll, I'll compile my favorite episodes of the show where it's, it's super intense and it's less about, you know, phasers to stun and all these nerdy things. And that's why I kind of like it. Like where Star Wars, when, when Star Wars fails to me is when it's too much about the technology, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if Darth Vader is not Luke's father and, that whole dynamic and it's about their family and everything. It wouldn't have as much gravity if it was just guys with swords in space. You know what I mean? It might look pretty. We might watch it and the effects might be great, but we've seen those movies like, Oh, that was a cool movie, but okay. Bring on the next one. You know what I mean? You can just consume them mindlessly. The reason why we go back to it is because of the internal story inside of that realm. And I think Star Trek hits that really well, especially on next generation. And I and these shows, I went back through and watched the whole series again, maybe ten years ago, and it was um, it still held up quite a quite well. There's some things that it, it, pacing it's probably too slow for today's people. Like if you were just watching and you were a kid, no way they would stick with it. So I'm glad they're bringing it back. Maybe they'll update a couple things, make make the pacing a little quicker. That's what I'm hoping for. So that's that's my hopes for this next um, version of it. But it's uh, Star Trek Discovery. So. There you go. Love it. Love it. Yeah, All right. Well, good stuff, my man. Good stuff. Let's go YouTube in. Let's do this. Wait, I, did you have a, don't you have a number five, man? No, because I co- combined uh, Game of Thrones and John Wick 3 with you. Uh, so. All right. All right. All right. I'll, I, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, this is the part of the show where Ben and I like to talk about some YouTube wormholes, some things we found on that glorious website that is YouTube. Um, and and basically share what 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 caught our interest this week. So, I only have one. Well, I have I have many, but it's like one one subject, so to speak. And okay. I don't know I don't know how I fell fell on it, but I kind of discovered some old time radio dramas from like the nineteen forties uh, that are on YouTube. Now you're right speaking now. my language, baby. You're speaking you my language. I love it. So I listened to a couple. Like I listened to some old shadow. Uh, episodes. I listened to this one called "Sorry, Wrong Number," which is absolutely terrifying, by the way. Um, yep. And uh, I even kind of briefly listened to "War of the Worlds" and things like that. But now that we're living in this podcast era, so to speak, and you're listening to a podcast right now, I'm wondering to myself, like, as I'm listening to this, first of all, they're brilliant. So, folks, please go go just look up like old time radio dramas from the 1940s on YouTube, and you'll get a whole you know slew of them. But I it made me wonder. I'm like. Man, are these coming? Are these are these making a comeback now? Hopefully, like I don't know. Like I just it got it got me really into it. But yeah, driving down, you know, at night listening to this stuff, it, I was I was all in. Like I was terrified. Um, it was great. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I, Chris, you totally read my mind. I mean, it's something that I totally think about. Like as we're sitting here podcasting, um, I think we are. It's 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 this weird thing where this stuff was popular old time radio OTR was popular in, you know, of course, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, um, you know, shadow all the way up to suspense, all the way up to CB, CBS, uh, mystery radio and Sherlock Holmes. Like those are some great ones. Dragnet is great. And it's something that I've loved. I think I started, I fell in love almost at the beginning of the internet, you know, um, when internet really kicked off and you could download things and, burn things to CD. And now I'm talking like maybe 1997, 98, when you actually had a CD burner and stuff. 
I would sit and download, you know, everyone was downloading all this like illegal music, but I was downloading public domain old, old time radio and burning them to CDs so I can have car trips up to, you know, from Meriden to Elmira. You know what I mean? I would have yeah. a yeah. six and a half hour trip and pre podcast, I would pop these bad boys in and sit there and zone out. And it's so funny how we have gone full circle almost a hundred years to the day because we're going to hit the night, you know, hundred years ago would be in the 1920s, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy to think of um, where I just love how those things and they stand up like a beast. They really oh, they totally do, do pacing and everything. Yeah. It's great, Chris. It's so awesome. Loved it. So yeah, I had a, I just had a great time. Yeah. Great, great dude. Great topic. I just pulled up one of my favorites. So Chris, check this out. Okay. On YouTube, it's called um, suspense, which is a great show. Um, it's Cary Grant on a country road, 1950. Nice. Okay. Please check that out, dude. Definitely. will. yeah, it's one of my favorites. It'll scare the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, man. What, what do you got this week? Okay, dude. All right. I, I put it off for a week. I don't know if I sent it to you. I, I posted on my Facebook, Chris, did you end up watching star Wars scene 38 reimagined? Yes. Okay. I, I wanted to give you a week because it came out like right before our show last week. And I don't think we had time to talk about it. So just for the listeners at home. So someone took the, the fight at the end of star Wars, a new hope between Ben Kenobi and Darth Vader and modernized it, um, made the fighting a little more modern and actually kind of, it's almost like the best way to describe it is if George Lucas had the money and the time to make this happen. And, and of course the special effects to make this happen, what it would look like. Chris, what were your thoughts on this scene? Well, you know, it's funny at first I didn't know where it was going. Cause they, they kind of surprise you with it. And I was like, okay, well, like, did it, is it just more digital? Like I, at first, like I didn't even notice like that they had, you know, uh, colorized the lightsabers. Um, and I was like, oh, that's the yeah. big, that's the big thing right off the bat. But man, just from a, you know, ignoring the, just the style of sword fighting for a second, which by the way, was glorious. Um, just the pacing of it, bringing into the, you know, that the, the old quotes from the, the prequel series and things like that. Um, yeah. It was incredible. Like it just gave, it gave that entire scene, the gravitas that I, you know, now looking back on it, when you watch, watch it again is missing. It really, it's like mm-hmm. these two, these two, the student and the teacher, you know, meeting for the first time since uh, that that you know final battle in in, in episode three. Like this is the the showdown, and um, we kind of you you kind of got what you wanted out of it. It was incredibly done, honestly. Yeah, there was so many great choices in it, and not even you know, of course, I think it really is. I'm not I'm not bsing. I'm not it's an achievement in film what this person did. Oh yeah. I, and I don't think I'm underplaying it. I, I really don't. I don't think I'm overplaying it or overplaying it. I really think this is an achievement. You know, how we've been talking about all these reverse CGI tactics, you know what I mean? Like looking at Samuel Jackson and captain America or captain Marvel and all of these things that are able to be done. This person took the technology that we have today and respectfully went back and didn't, you know, copy something, make fun of something, but just added that thing that was missing from one of his favorite movies. Um, I just thought the choices were great. 
I watched it a couple times. I showed I showed Deacon it, and he loved it too. Um, but I watched it a couple times, and the one thing that really stood out to me is, imagine this. Okay, so Luke comes out. They got Leia. They're going to escape, and then you know, of course, him and the stormtroopers watch Ben Kenobi get, um, you know, killed, um, in the first one, and it's 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 an interesting, you know, of course, when it happens, it's very iconic. He disappears before the lightsaber goes through, and then he he evaporates, and Darth doesn't know what's going on. Now, the choice that was really interesting is, so in this cut, Luke comes out and says, Ben, turn towards the fight, and just doesn't see Ben Kenobi get killed. He watches Ben Kenobi use force power to push back Darth Vader. And then Darth Vader stops and uses his own force power and then kills him. So imagine Luke watching that kind of force power happen. You know, he watched the Jedi mind trick in Ben Kenobi. He watched a couple other skills happen, but he never really watched Ben Kenobi do force power. You know what I mean? Like actually telekinetic movement of objects. And I think that's important because imagine the beginning of Empire Strikes Back when Luke is hanging in the cave and he's able to use the force to grab the sword out of the snow. It actually makes sense that he would know that that's possible by watching Ben Kenobi do something like that, where in the beginning of empire, he hasn't visited Yoda yet. He really doesn't really know the true, you know, the true power of the force or true power of the dark side. Um, And I think that adds to that. And just like you said, it has callbacks to the prequels and just hearing, I mean, Chris, I've really tried to like the prequels. I've I, I've really tried because I want to. I, I mean, I was talking about like like a couple weeks ago how Battlefront Two, the original, is really great game, and you're fighting, you know, in like with the Jar Jar Binks race, the Gungans or whatever, and you're fighting on all these planets. And I I really want to like it. <laughs> I really do. I like General Grievous. I like all these little choices, but it's just. Oh, it hurts so bad, but I just thought this was, this is the way to do it. What I was going to say is, what do you think? Uh, I watched some reaction videos on this and the reaction was that it was great. You know what I mean? I watched, I forget, I didn't save this one, but it was just a guy watching the the, uh, reimagined scene and freaking out. But he had some interesting things to say. He goes, it was great. I loved it. But what a shame that. A studio like Disney, a studio like Lucasfilm can't do something like this. You know, they can't take this great idea that we all respect, we all love and adore and take it and elevate it to this level. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. I mean, it is, I'm right there with that person, whoever said that, I mean, with their frustration, it's like, there's, there's a rolling of the dice that you're seeing with some of these fan projects that just makes so much sense that aren't based on playing it safe and, and, you know, what makes the most money or what makes the most sense. You know, that's, you know, when we think about rogue one in that hallway scene, that was one of the ballsiest things I've ever seen, you know, in the entire series. And that was a bold choice. And those are just very, very rare when it comes to these new star Wars projects. And, um, you know, one can only hope that, you know, with the new episode uh, that's coming out next year that, you know, we start to see a little bit more of that, that that setup, but who knows? Honestly, I know. And and seeing this scene, it's not like 
the person that did this added something crazy to it that we have never seen before, right? And that's what I think I appreciated the most was we're watching something that we're familiar with. We, You know, George Lucas did all the hard work way back in the day setting up the rules. You know what I mean? With any good fiction, you set up rules. You know what I mean? You can break rules. You can make rules. But at least you have to define the rules. You know, think of Back to the Future tool too. You know what I mean? We created this universe in one, but now we're going to break some of those rules and we're going to explain it to you why. Right. Where a lot of the problems with the prequels and these postquels or whatever <laughs> that we're in right now, um, they're breaking rules and not telling us why. You know what I mean? Um, the sword fighting in A New Hope, Empire, and Jedi is very calculated and, and they move almost like a broadsword movement, almost two hands on the lightsaber, almost at all times. And, you know, except for throwing and stuff that we see in empire, um, pretty much that's the, the art of the f- style of fighting. And when the prequels came out, I was dazzled by, you know, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon running around and doing all these flips and da, 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 and like, you know, Darth Maul, like doing these crazy things. But, they were breaking kind of some rules that were established in the original trilogy where this guy took those rules and elevated them to another level. And just with some fancy editing, some nice pacing, he showed us what could happen. Not if you add on to these rules or try to do some twist or just try to have someone use some force power that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and just use the rules that are established and tell another story. And I think that's why rogue one was able to, elevate that storytelling it's not like they broke rules in it they took what we knew and added on to it i agree 100 percent. loved every second of it loved it loved it loved it that's awesome i got i got one more i got one more but and uh so i have a bunch on here because <laughs> you know me i'm a youtube-aholic but i like to kind of i've been trying to keep my uh my selections of the week kind of paired with each other. Sure. So um, while I was down this thread, I watched this, watched some reaction videos. And then this great video just came out um, not too long ago. Let's see. It came out May 19th, 2019. So it just came out. And the video is titled The Phantom Menace 20 Years Later. It's 40 minutes long. And I was nervous that it was just going to be kind of like a guy just going off on the Phantom Menace. But no, this is a true documentary about the year 1999 and what was going on when the Phantom Menace was released. Really interesting. And he talks about the fan craze and the buzz about the movie. And right now, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I'm only halfway through. I just started this morning. But it was so great because he doesn't really add too much to it. He just lets the story kind of tell itself and how... The buildup to that movie was great and how the letdown happened and there was conflicting opinions and then the um, fallout to the next two prequel movies, you know what I mean? Especially with box office and the lower expectations and the damage it did and just really interesting stuff. Uh, so, Chris, what what do you remember about going to The Phantom Menace? I mean, I waited in line for, I think, three hours with my friend Vinny, who I'm going to see on Thursday at the Arnott Mall. Um, and we were definitely let down big time. What were your thoughts on that? Oh man. Um, I remember watching it and being really into it. Like, you know, the first half an hour is pretty solid. And then like, as soon as he started a lot with the, with the kid, we got through the pod race. I started to say to myself, this isn't good. 
Like <laughs> I think the, the warning signs mm. are there and um, it, it just got kind of got worse and worse. And then I kept wanting just, I was like, just get to the, just get to the lightsaber fight that I saw in the trailer. Just get to like the double, the double right. lightsaber that we saw in the trailer. Like just let's go. And it just, it just kept going and going and going. And, um, you know, rewatching it, I, I also rewatched it probably in the last couple of years. It, it hasn't improved. It just, it's one of the movies where it's like, it just, it, it has not gotten better with age. Yeah. Yeah. And I really try. I, I, and I, I tell my friend Josh this all. I really try. Um, and, you know, these cartoon series, you know, I've watched, a, I've bounced around with Deacon, just kind of looked up what's the best uh, Clone Wars uh, cart- episode to watch and what's the best Rebels episode to watch. Just bouncing around here and there. We watch them and they're really good. They Don't get me wrong. They're really good. Anakin's a great character in them. Um, Obi-Wan's a great character. Yoda's a great character. They're defined. They're, and like I said, they're adding to this established universe and just creating new stories and making them a little more in depth. And that's what the prequels should have been. And it's just so hard to watch when the concept is there, the, the concept is there, the characters are there and the execution is poor. And that's the most frustrating thing about those movies. Totally, totally a hundred percent. Right. And you know, these, these latest films, I mean, I'll be honest. They they have not met my high expectations. Uh, for that goes for Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. Just have not have not gotten there yet for me. So ho- hopefully, you know, with the rise of Skywalker, they kind of tie this thing up uh, nicely. I'm I'm fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, I just uh, hope that um, you know, Benioff and Weiss bring that kind of. You know, we were just talking about Game of Thrones and what they brought. That depth of character they brought to that series, even though it was based on, you know, definitely based on novels, you know, this is based on other movies. So hopefully they're able to work their magic with this universe because my God, it needs it. It really does. (laughs) I just feel like it's, they're, they're just messing up this awesome toy. They got where we saw when Gareth Edwards made rogue one, he just said that, you know what I mean? Like I love this as a kid, I played with these toys and that's what they need to do. And when you play with Jedi toys, when you're when you're a kid and you're playing with Star Wars stuff, you know the rules. Even if you're basic and you're just thinking Luke is on, you know, a force and Vader is on the Sith Jedi or um, sorry, he's on the Sith. He's on the dark side. And just knowing that helps you. And when you have those clearly defined rules, like in, in good science fiction, then you can play with the human element, just like I was saying with. Uh, Star Trek, like when you establish those rules, now it's time to actually get to your content. You know what I mean? It's time to talk about family drama within the Skywalkers or whatever it is. That's when you can get to those meat and potatoes, which make your story really good. A hundred percent right. Love it, man. Love it. Yeah, dude. So those are my two picks this week, baby. Good stuff, buddy. Good stuff. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for us on this week's uh, edition of Desperately Seeking Entertainment. Thanks as always for, for joining us. And of course, you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com, where our audience is steadily growing, which has uh, been really, really cool. We've got some new podcasts coming out. So definitely, um, you know, firing on all cylinders right now. Ben, anything you want to plug before we, we sign off? Um, yeah. So I just wanted to plug it like I always do, like on a lot of the podcasts, um, all of my liked videos, um, especially the ones that I don't share on air, are uh, if you search on YouTube, Live Nude Swearing, that comes right up. 
It's a picture of Kramer. That's me. So uh, check out my liked uh, videos uh, playlist. But um, actually, Chris, I am going to, I think I'm going to upload this weekend a music album that I've been working on for a while. Whoa. Um, yeah. Uh, and I call it music really loosely, but I've been working on these, I, I want to call them poems, but they're more monologues than anything. And I perform them and then put them over some music and sound effects. And I think I'm going to be releasing it. It's about the area that I live in, like central New York and Syracuse. And that's kind of the theme. But uh, when I write, you know, creatively, I try to um, do it's almost a monologue. You know, I, I try to have a character writing from their perspective and have a little mini arc. So um, I hope people check that out. And if you're an actor and looking for some interesting material for a monologue, I think this would be great stuff and something different that we always talk about in, in auditions. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to, to listen to those. Those are going to be great. Um, fantastic, dude. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, dude. Good week. Good week, Good dude. Good week, man. All right, folks. Well, we'll see you right here next week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment, but please consume as much entertainment as possible over the next couple of weeks because uh, it's it's the time to do it, man. Love it. Love it. So we'll see you folks next week. Bye.